to the Humanity Church Podcast, a place where meaningful conversations around living by faith, being known by love, and becoming a voice of hope are shared with the world every week. We hope that you enjoy this podcast and will join us live on Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, online or at the historic Fox Theater in beautiful downtown Pomona. We also host humanity groups that meet all throughout the city and online to continue the conversation and support you in your ongoing spiritual journey. Find one near you by visiting humanitychurch.com. If you would like to financially support this podcast or the ongoing work at Humanity Church, you can text any donation amount to 84321 and give directly from your phone. Now, here's this week's podcast. Good morning, Humanity Church. How are you? Good. Hey, I don't I want to I don't want to blow past that moment that we just had. And uh, you as a community should be so proud of what we get to do here at Humanity Church. Um, I don't know, if you just look around, we're not like a mega institution. And the fact that we're able to uh, give and be generous with resources like that is really miraculous. And so thank you. Give yourselves a round of applause. Because you did, we, you, us did that, and we'll continue to do that as we move forward. Uh, Diana and the team have a booth in the lobby, and here's, I would love if by the time they left, they didn't have to take anything home with them. We could just like, hey, go give, get Christmas gifts for 2023. You'll be done, all right? (laughs) It's a great opportunity. Hey, we've been in this conversation called People of the Way for the last few weeks, and we're wrapping up the conversation today. Long before this movement of Jesus, the people that followed Jesus were called Christians, we were called People of the Way. And I don't know about you, but that just has a little different texture to it than being called a Christian. That being called a person of the way feels different, sounds different, that there's, a, there's an emotional grit to it that is different. I mean, Christian's fine, I'll, I'll take it. it. It literally just means someone who has a professed belief in Christ, but there's a difference between just having a professed belief and being someone who is a person of the way. See, because there's, there's a difference between saying, oh yes, uh, Marla and I have a contractual agreement with the government that we will be in union with one another till we die, and saying, I am madly in love with this woman and we are partnering together to change the world, right? There's a difference between the two of just saying, here's the legal document that we have and an agreement that we've made with one another and the reality of how I actually engage my life. Because see, the second you actually say, I am going to connect my life to the movement of Jesus, it transforms every single part of who you are. It moves your heart, your soul, your mind, your spirit, informs how you make decisions, it informs how you see the world, it informs how you engage people around you. It transforms everything. It moves beyond just a simple profession of belief. And we've talked over the last few weeks around how when Jesus says, I am the way, he also says, I am the truth. I am interested in transforming the reality that you are living in. I'm interested in transforming the maps for reality that you are using to navigate the world around you. And that when Jesus says that he is longing for us to be people of prayer, what he's saying is, I would would love for you to align the conversation that is taking place in your soul with the conversation that I would love to have for you to bring you to life. And last week we talked about how God invites us into this relationship with him as the God of promise, that we can rely on that wherever we go, that we can stand on this firm foundation, that his word will not be returned void, that he will not come to us and give us something and then say, oh, never mind, I forgot, or never mind, I don't want to, or never mind, you were bad, or whatever it may be. That his promises stand and it creates this beautiful platform from which we can live our lives. But I want to wrap up today with this characteristic of people who are people of the way that I think is so beautiful. 
and probably unique to this movement of Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42, it's, it's a passage that describes this movement, describes what people of the way looked like and ought to continue looking like. And it says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking bread and to prayer, and everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. See, historically, people of the way were known as a generous people. And because of that generosity, it was contagious. That the people looked out and said, who are these group of people who are giving away what they have in such a generous way, and people around them were saying, I want to be a part of that. How do I engage this movement in this space? Now, here's the thing. As a pastor, I used to get so nervous when I would talk about generosity. I mean, I, weeks beforehand, I would have like the elder team praying for me the day before I would get up early and have people like lay hands on me and make sure that everything was kosher and I would run through my talk a thousand times because here's what I understand is that the second we talk about generosity, we're immediately talking about what? Money, right? And I know that the second we talk about money in the context of church, suspicion immediately goes up. And I get it. Because if you look at the church universal and how they have handled money, it has been devastating. And there's a lot of good reasons why people are skeptical when anyone who has any type of spiritual role has a conversation about money because it has been blown in horrible ways. It has been used to manipulate people. It has been used to guilt people into certain behavior. And it has not been used for kingdom purposes. It has been used to line people's wallets, homes, cars, bank accounts. I get that. And I get that it is impossible to have this conversation without some level of suspicion. Even I, when I'm at another church or I'm at an event and someone starts talking about generosity, I immediately start asking, what do they want from me? What do they want? And how much do they want? And what are they going to do with whatever they want with, right? And so there's this strange conversation around this that we find ourselves in about how we have a conversation about generosity and our resources, but also really connect it to something that is meaningful. Even the other day, the last few weeks, our family has been able to do some things and engage in some activities that we probably historically would not have been able to afford, either due to other people's generosity or because of some of our savings. And, and I remember driving home just a few days ago, and Jackson in the back of the car said, Dad, we're so blessed. And I said, why are we so blessed? And he said, because we've been able to do all these things. Now, I know, I know that's an awe moment, but I actually corrected him. <laughs> and I said, we are blessed uh, we have been blessed specifically in these ways over the last few days, but we're blessed if we didn't have these things. That we're blessed if we didn't have anything, and that these are just icings on the cake. And yes, God has blessed us in a specific way over the last few weeks, but that doesn't mean we haven't been blessed, and that doesn't mean we won't be blessed when these are over. <laughs> because there's this strange connection between if you have money, you're blessed, and if you don't, you're not. And that couldn't be further from the truth. See, I actually changed my perspective on generosity when I actually started becoming generous, strangely enough. Early on as a pastor, I thought, you know, being generous is for other people because I give so much 
of my time and my energy. I give free counseling hours. I give free coaching hours. I work a 100-hour work week. I do all the things. I don't really need to give of my money. And I remember being so convicted one time when I was standing up and giving an offering talk in front of a community and recognizing that I had not given a penny for the last two years. And it was in that moment that I said, I will never, ever ask someone to do something that I have not led the charge on. And it was the second that I actually started being generous with my resources that I thought and realized, oh, I get it now. I actually get the correlation here. See, because Jesus talked about money and generosity so much in his ministry, and I realized that Jesus talked about it so much, not because he needed it. He wasn't like in a space where he was like, how are we going to fund this thing? This thing's really expensive. We got like 5,000 people here. We need some loaves and fishes. We're going to need some marketing campaigns. No, he actually had no interest in receiving money, but Jesus had a conversation around money because he actually longed for us to be free. And when Jesus has a conversation around generosity and our resources, it's not a conversation around how he can get something from us. It's a conversation around how he can hand us back the freedom that is already available to us. So this conversation today really is a conversation about freedom, recognizing that how we relate to things like money and time and energy and our resources is the one thing that oftentimes keeps us in bondage. It's oftentimes the one thing that holds us back from living the life we were called to live. And at the end of the day, it's a silly thing to be left in bondage with. Yeah. I love this passage in John chapter 8, verse 32, that many of you have heard so many times. It says, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, freedom in the scriptures always happens as a result of knowing truth. That if you're going to be set free from your life, there is some truth that you must engage in, this, in some type of truth over here. Here's the thing. The problem is, is that knowing truth is not about knowledge. It's not about if I get the right knowledge in my head, then I will be set free. Because let's just do a poll in here. How many of you like are pretty clear about what your issues are? Right? I am. I know exactly where I messed up. I know exactly where I like, missed the mark. I know exactly what's going on in my head and my heart and my body and my spirit that needs to change. Yes? Yes. Now, here's the other question. How many of you have a pretty good idea about what you need to do to change those things? Yes, right? <laughs> How many of you, if you don't know the knowledge, you know where you could go to get that knowledge or you know someone you could ask to get that knowledge? How many of you know you have Google where you could just say, how do I stop acting like a crazy person, right? Yes, yes. So, so the fact of the matter is, is it's not a knowledge conversation when Jesus says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What we don't know is more knowledge. Right. See, when, when, I, uh, when I was not a parent... I looked at my parents at times and thought, these people are irrational. In fact, these people over-exaggerate things, and they're a little crazy, and they're mean, and they're checked out at times, and I don't understand why they say or do the things that they say. They're erratic human beings that have given birth to me, and I'm the sane one in the relationship here. That's right. And then I had a child, and I became a parent, and all of a sudden, I recognized, oh, my parents were the most rational human beings on the planet. I understand everything that they did. I know why they did it, I, and I'm doing it myself. And now my kids are looking at me like I'm an irrational, crazy person. See, because here's the thing. The second that I had that moment of experiencing what it was like to be a parent, my mindset shifted. 
It wasn't knowledge. I had read all the books about how to be a parent. I had read all the, all the blogs. I had been to all the workshops about parenting. And it wasn't until I actually stepped into that place where I thought, oh, I know things now that I didn't know before. And it wasn't knowledge. There was a mindset shift that happened for me in that moment. And there are several critical mindset shifts that we must engage if we are going to be people of freedom, if we are going to be people of the way, if we are going to actually live out the calling that's on every single one of our lives to step into the abundance that we're called to. And one of those shifts is a life that is informed by scarcity and fear, saying there is not enough fill in the blank in life to a space of abundance which says, I actually have everything that I need right here and right now to live out the life that God's called me at the highest level available to me. Not like I have enough to get by, but I have enough to actually step into the fullness of life and relationship that God has called me into right here and now. Now here's the thing. Living a generous life is the doorway to abundance and freedom. That if you're going to make that mindset shift, generosity is the doorway that you must step through. But if you want to know if you've walked through the door, all you have to do is look at your relationship with generosity. All you have to do is look at how am I relating to my resources in life? And is this actually translating into a space of freedom? See, because let me just pause right now and set up the universe that God is attempting to set up for you based on some of the scriptures In Philippians 4.19, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1.3, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 6.17, command those who are rich in this present age world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Matthew 7.7, through 11. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know you give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? In Ephesians 3 20 through 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine according to his power that has worked within us. To him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the universe that God is attempting to set up for us. Not my nice idea what the scriptures are saying to us. See, the central narrative of the scriptures and what God is attempting to communicate to you and to me constantly is not about what you need to give to God. In fact, the central narrative has very little to do with what you are going to do for him or how you're going to perform for him or what you're going to create for him. The entire central narrative of the scriptures is a God who is abundantly being generous with us constantly all the time. That he is a God who is constantly in the act of giving abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine every day, all the time, with every breath. Now, here's the thing. I have no desire to try to convince you of that today. There's actually a bigger conversation that I would like to have today about this, a more important conversation that we need to have. See, because here's the reality, is that there could be a God who is constantly, abundantly 
pouring out into your life with every breath, every moment, every second, giving you beyond what you need to step into the life that you were called to and you could live your entire life and never ever see it. You could go your entire existence and never recognize that that God is there based on your mindset, based on the truth that you have decided is true for you in that moment. You can go your whole life and say, amen, that is some good theology about a God who is giving and it will only be a nice idea. It will only be just a, yeah, that's in the Bible. It will never be a, yes, that is my reality that I live in every single day, every single moment. See, if you are living a life informed by scarcity or lack, no matter how much God can pour out on your life, you can be dripping in money and dripping in energy and dripping in resources and dripping in community, and you will still look out and say, there is not enough, God has abandoned me. And this is the insidious thing about scarcity. This last weekend, one of the things that we got to do that we normally couldn't afford and will probably never be able to afford is my parents for Christmas got all of us, our entire family, a one-night stay at Disney's Grand Californian Hotel. If you've ever been there, it's like a five-star hotel, very expensive, very plush. It was nice. And we were like one night in and out, right? (laughs) And I thought to myself, we're never going to get to experience this ever again, so take advantage of everything. So Sunday... After church, bags were already packed. We headed over there. Check-in was at three. I didn't care. We were there, right? <laughs> and if you remember last Sunday, it was freezing cold and raining, and I told the kids, we're going to the pool. Because <laughs> we've walked by that pool a thousand times, and we have never been able to get in. We are the peasants standing on the outside. <laughs> and today, we're rich kids. <laughs> so... <laughs> So the kids are like, let's go, and we get to the pool, we get in the hot tub, and and we're having a good time, and our kids are enjoying it, and you know what surprised me the most? I was surrounded by people complaining about their experience. There were people, literally, in the hot tub who were saying, excuse me, excuse me, the hot tub is actually not hot enough. Can we get someone to turn the degrees up a little more over here? Another person was standing next to us. Can you believe that they got rid of the people who give you water? You actually have to go to the water station now to get your water. And they don't even have the people walking around getting your orders. I I mean, it's raining, but they should have someone there. And then we're in the lobby and people are at the front desk complaining about things. Meanwhile, I'm like shoving napkins in my bag. I'm getting like, (laughs) grab the shampoo, make sure we get the toothbrushes. I mean, like, I got everything that we possibly possibly could because for me, this was a once in a lifetime moment that I was never going to have again. And the difference was a perspective. The difference was a perspective. See, we were actually experiencing the exact same circumstance with the exact same amenities in the exact same location. And for me, this was like the biggest gift that I could ever receive in that moment. For them, they had grown familiar with the luxury that had been made available to them. See, some of us have grown too familiar with the luxury that God has lavished on you. And we find ourselves literally unable to see the breathtaking gift that God is pouring out on us. And we find ourselves complaining about life rather than saying, look at all that I have been given 
See, this actually has very little to do with how much money you have or don't have, I promise you. See, even if you're sitting in that chair right now thinking, yeah, well, if I had more money then, or if I had more stuff then, or you don't know my situation then, I promise you, I promise you, I've been around enough. I have been in poverty and I have been in wealth. I have worked with people on all ends of the spectrum and I can guarantee you it has nothing to do with your bank account. It has nothing to do with how much money you have. It has everything, everything to do with your perspective and the mindset that you are engaging in here and now. There's this powerful story that Jesus tells, a parable. And he says there's this master who's going out on a trip, and so he has these three servants that he gives them money. To one he gives $10,000, to another $5,000, to another $1,000. And he says, I'm going to be going on this trip. You guys take care of my money for me. And when he comes back... The man who had uh, received the $10,000 worth of gold, he comes back and he says, I doubled it. Here's your 20000 And the master says, oh, come into my kingdom. Thank you very much, good and faithful servant. The man who had uh, $5,000, he gave him back his $10,000. He had doubled it and he said, oh, man, thank you. Come into my kingdom. And then the man with $1,000 says this in Matthew 24, 29. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, Harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Now, I want you to notice this guy's mindset as he views this situation and this circumstance, how scarce it is. See, he steps into this situation, and he immediately goes into fear. I am afraid of this moment. Here's his master who has given him and all of his friends bags of gold, and yet he cannot see past his own scarcity. He cannot see past the abundance that he had been given in that moment. Notice how his mindset explains to him what he sees, and it informs him of what he can see and can't see in this moment. Because he goes to his master and he says, well, you've harvested where you have not sown, and you've reaped where you have not scattered seed. In other words, well, magic stuff happens for you. I don't understand. Like, you, you just have money up here. You just have things happen for you. You don't understand. I don't have this type of magic. You have this magic juju, and I don't. You harvested where you, you did not even plant, and you sowed where you did not even reap, put your seeds there, and now I'm living in fear because I don't have this magic juju you have, and now he finds himself as the victim because he doesn't have what this man has. But see, here's the crazy thing. We actually know how God sets up the universe, and it's not magic juju. The scriptures actually say, you reap what you do sow. The scriptures don't say you reap what you don't sow. The scriptures say you reap what you sow. So what we do know is this master has been out sowing. This master has been out giving He has been putting himself out there. He has been investing his resources. He has been going out and being generous with what he has. He has been working hard at what he has around him. See, when you are informed by scarcity, the abundant mindset in other people will look like foolishness or will look like magic juju. You will find yourself saying, how do those magic people make their life happen? 
How do they make their life happen? Because it seems like they don't struggle and it seems like they don't have anything that they, that's hard for them. It seems like they don't have to go through the hard things that I have to go to. They have more than I have. They reap where they have not sown. They harvest where they have not planted. And so it will look like they're out there working magic. And I'm not even talking about money. You'll look out and say, how do they make those relationships happen? How do they have that type of marriage? How do they have type of career? How do they have that type of emotional experience? How do they have that type of, of experience in the world around them? How do they have a healthy life? It must be magic because they don't seem to do anything and it comes to them. I don't have this and I'm lacking and they have. So out of fear, I'm gonna take the little bit that I have and I'm gonna dig a hole and I'm gonna put it in there because they have and I don't. See, what the master actually had was generosity. And the servant with the scarce mindset could not see that. It was blind to him. All he could explain it is, it's just magic. Not only does scarcity blind you to what you have, but it blinds you to seeing what generosity actually does in the world, of making the connection between generosity and the abundance that is available to you in any given moment. And his master replied, you wicked lazy servant. You knew that I have harvested what I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put your money out on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have released something back with interest. See, here's the, here's the crazy thing about this situation. Let's just recap this whole situation. Here's a man who has watched his friends being given $15,000 by their master, just given, without really any stipulation in there. And his friends go out and they double their money. They give the master $30,000 back in this moment. His master welcomes them into this kingdom and says, good job, come on in. You can have all the things that I'm having. You can share my resources. You can share my wealth. And his interpretation of this whole situation is your hard. He looks at this whole situation and he says, Master, you're mean. So I needed to be afraid. I didn't have the resources that I needed to have this turn out. And so the best plan was to dig a hole and bury what I had. And the master even lets him know, look, I don't care about how much you bring back to me. All I care about is that you actually did something with what I gave you. I'm not interested in you doubling my money. I'm not interested in comparing you to the next guy. You could have at least just put it with the bank. And got a little bit of money back, but you didn't even do that. Do something with what you had been given, but you didn't do anything. And what the master is saying here is you cannot even see it. See, God could be in front of you pouring out more than you could ever ask or imagine. And the scarcity will inform you that God has forgotten you. God could be handing you abundant resources that you need in this moment and you will find yourself saying, I don't have enough, I don't have the resources, I'm the one who's left out, I'm not like everyone else, so I need to take the very little that I have and I need to go bury it in the ground so that I keep the little that I have. And this is what scarcity does to the human perspective and it does to the human experience. It will take a situation that was actually set up for you to win in life and it will turn it into a space where you are left complaining and a victim and it is evil yes. and it will transform your life in a way that eats you alive yes. 
And then Jesus says, so take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. By the way, this lets us know that Jesus, a.k.a. the master, is not actually interested in the money. Otherwise, you would have been like, all right, well, I'll take my thousand back, thank you. Right? Right? He's actually, no, give it to him. Because Jesus actually isn't interested in how much money you're going to give. He's interested in your attitude of generosity. See, God is not interested in getting as much money from you as he can. He has no need for it. That would be a silly thing for him to ask. See, he's actually interested in you engaging an attitude that will produce life and freedom, that will actually set you free, and it will turn your produce in life into an act of giving it away to others. And then Jesus concludes this parable by making probably one of the most disturbing statements in all of the scriptures. He says, For whoever has will be given more, and they will have abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Now, this this sounds like it's brutally unfair, right? (laughs) Like, this is the exact opposite of Robin Hood. This is not robbing from the rich to pay for the poor. This is robbing from the poor to pay for the rich, right? It sounds like, at first glance, that this is God saying, take all the money away from the Amazon employees and give it to Jeff Bezos, right? (laughs) It seems like Jesus has shifted the scales in a way that seems incredibly inequitable here. So what exactly is he saying? See, what Jesus is saying is that when you live in this level of scarcity and lack the generosity needed to step into freedom, even the little that you have will be taken away from you. Not because God is going to take it away from you, but because you won't be able to even see it. You will take what you have and you will bury it in a hole and be afraid that it won't be taken away and you will never actually step into the abundance that you were called to live in. It's not God taking anything away from you. It's you, unwilling to see the abundance around us. See, you will always view your life through a lens of not enough or lack when you find yourself in this space. You could have everything you need and still be left complaining about what you want. But the moment that you decide to step into a generous life, suddenly your your eyes are opened to the abundance right here and right now. And here's the crazy thing. It's not that the second you step into generosity that God's like, now I can pour out onto you. It's that for the first time, you can actually see where God has been pouring out onto you. For the first time, you can go, oh, there are all kinds of resources around me. There are people and there is energy available that I didn't know I had before and there's all kinds of resources here and there's all kinds of creative activities that I can step into because now I'm looking at the life through through abundance and lens. Wow, life looks a lot different. Look at all the resources and gifts that I have available to me, all the opportunities. My very breath becomes a gift to the world around me and suddenly we are freed up to give in this moment. Now I look out and I'm like, I have so much. So I am now freed up to give my time. I'm freed up to give my energy. I'm freed up to give of my resources. I'm freed up to give. 
Anytime I come back from a long training experience or when I'm speaking at a conference or even after a Sunday, people always ask me, aren't you exhausted? And you know what? There are times I am exhausted and there are other times that I'm not. And I can tell you I know exactly what the difference is. I can tell you what energizes those moments and what depletes me. It's when I step into those moments attempting to get something for myself or if I'm stepping into those moments as a servant. And I can tell you those moments when I step on a stage or I step into a room and I am there to get something for my own ego or my own self-satisfaction or for my own identity, it leaves me exhausted because I'm doing all the work. The second that I step into a space and I'm just like, I am here to serve a community Suddenly, I have more than I could ever ask or imagine, and I could go run a marathon after those moments. See, what Jesus says is that to those who have much, more will be given. See, you already have the much. He's asking, can you see it? See, at the end of the day, God is looking to transform your mindset so that you can actually be free So when when you look out at the world, what you see is not determined by your bank account. When you look out at the world and you're like, this is what I want to give my life to, and this is the impact that I want to make, and this is the life that I want to give to other people, it is not determined by how much money you have on a bank statement. Because here's the thing, God is not asking himself, do I have more to give Oh, man, I think I gave to that guy over there. I wish I could have given it to John over here. I wish I would have given it to, to so-and-so over here. I'm out of it right now. See, he is actually saying, I have already given you everything I need. Can you see it? Will you do more with the more that I have already given you? And once you see it, he's saying, what will you do with it? See, once you see it, you can start giving it away because you recognize, I have way too much. I have so much. There's actually more than I could ever imagine here. And here's the beautiful thing. Your life moves from a consumer to a producer. Your life moves from chaotic to creative in that moment. Because now it's like I have everything I need to go out and step into the calling and the life and the beauty that I have been called to live. You start translating the temporary into the eternal. This is one of the reasons why Marla and I love giving, love, love, love giving. And again, I will never ask you to do something in a community that we won't go first in. Because I can tell you that there are stories after stories after stories after stories of people who sat in a chair here in this room or came to a freedom weekend or stepped into a humanity group or were given resources necessary to buy groceries that week or rent was paid because they didn't know how they were going to move forward. And yes, it transformed their life in a way that would forever change the trajectory of their story. And I think that is way more valuable than the crazy small amount of money that I donated. I would much rather transform the history of a line of human beings than buy some stupid thing for the weekend. It transforms the temporary into the eternal. And here's the other thing, is that when you start investing in something, you view it differently. How many remember like buying your first car? Right? I remember I borrowed my parents' car when I was a teenager. I wrecked that thing, right? (laughs) They would constantly be asking, hey, could you get it washed? Yeah, maybe, we'll see. Could Could you like go change the oil? Oh yeah, I'll get around to that. 
I'm telling you, the second I bought that car, that thing was washed every Saturday, and that oil was changed on the dot. Why? Because I was paying for it. I was invested. I was in, in that situation. Something changes when you start investing the things that matter most to you in the world around you. And I'm telling you, it sounds crazy, but the moment that you start living a generous life, more will be made available to you. Again, not because God suddenly pours it out on you, but because for the first time you can see it, it's all around you. That we would be those who create beauty in the world around us versus fearing it. And in closing, I love this passage in Malachi chapter three, starting in verse 10. It says this, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. By the way, You giving of your resources is the only command in the scripture where God says, test me and see. Only place. Now, normally I do not recommend testing God, but he told you to, not me. (laughs) Because here's the thing. He knew that money would have a grip on you. He just knew it. He knew that that for you and me, the, the potency of our life would be determined by our bank accounts. And he hates that for you because he has so much more available for you. And he knew that he would need like a money back guarantee. Like, hey, test, test it and see. Test it and see. Anytime a product has a money guarantee, I know it's gonna be good because I know that they're on the line. When God says test and see, he's saying I'm on the line here. Test and see if that when you start living a generous life, that you don't actually have the floodgates opened up for you. He says, let's do a trial run, right? In this space. Now, by the way, contrary to popular belief of what you've heard from other pastors, throwing open the floodgates of heaven does not mean that you're gonna get rich. Sorry. Here's the miracle. You've already been given everything you need. That's the miracle. See, when God says, I'm gonna open up the floodgates to you, what he's saying is, for the first time in your life, you will live free. For the first time in your life, you will live disconnected from your bank account informing you of how valuable you are. For the first time in your life, you will be able to see possibilities for the future that are disconnected from a price tag. And you will create so much beauty in the world with the resources that I have already given to you. That is what the floodgates of heaven opening up on us look like. So I want to get really practical with this. People always complain about me. Nathan, you inspire me and then I don't know what to do. So let's get really practical. So for those of you who don't give regularly, I'm going to encourage you to start giving regularly and do this, do a test and see. I always tell people, do a test, do a three-month trial and start somewhere. Sign up for reoccurring giving and, and just see if God doesn't release something in you that, that is different from before. And I always say this, if you're already listening to this conversation in here or online, look at the whites of my eyes. If you're skeptical about giving to this church, give somewhere. I am not interested in your money. I'm interested in your freedom. So if you're not in a place where you can trust this community with your resources yet, I get it. Give somewhere so that you can be free. So start there. 
I, I noticed that some people who are already giving, who have already like stepped into that space, sometimes giving up your resources actually isn't a sacrifice anymore. It's kind of like old hat. Sometimes for even Marla and I, it just kind of comes out of our bank account and I'm like, oh yeah, we gave this month. <laughs> and here's what I'd like to encourage you for those of you who are already giving generously of your resources, find an area that's a sacrifice for you. I find that most people who are actually giving of their resources and are living their purpose, that usually time and energy is a much greater sacrifice. So find a way to give of your energy, of your time this week, and see if your eyes don't open up to all kinds of possibilities. I posted on Instagram this week a quote that I just put out there, and I said, when you want it, you'll find it. And I had a friend post back on there, and he said, I don't believe that's true. And my friend used to be an addict, and I said, you know what's crazy? Because he, he said, you know, some people don't have the resources and this and that. I said, you know what's crazy, man, is that when you were addicted to meth, you were able to find all kinds of cash. I was like, let's be honest. Like, you were broke on the streets, and you were able to find thousands of dollars. Because when you value something, you'll find the resources. When something matters enough to you, you'll figure it out. And this is the beautiful thing about a life of generosity, is that when you care about something enough, you'll figure it out. And not only do you have to figure it out, but God will pour out on you. I'm so excited about this conversation because I know that as we step into generosity, we will be unlocked as a people of freedom and we will be unlocked as people of the way in a way that we have never experienced before. And it will not only transform our experience, but the beautiful thing about generosity is it transforms the experience of every single person that your life touches. Because generosity is contagious and it will change the world. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you have abundantly given more than we could ever ask or imagine. God, would you open up our eyes to see all of that today? I ask that you would, God, for those in the room who have skepticism or fear around this conversation, that you would just release them of that, God. For those in the room who, who may even be thinking, but I don't have, and you don't understand, God, I, I get it, and there are all kinds of circumstances. I ask, one, that you would give them peace, but that you would also open their eyes to what you're calling them into. God, that you would move in power, releasing us from the bondage of scarcity and small thinking and believing that there is not enough. Would you open our eyes today to the immense amount of gifts that you have poured out onto us? Jesus, I thank you that you have called us to be people of abundance and given us everything we need to step into that. I thank you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope that it was a meaningful experience and look forward to having you listen in next week for another conversation from the heart and soul of Humanity Church. You can find more information about our community at www.humanitychurch.com.